I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me He has made me glad, He has made me glad, I will rejoice for He has made me glad. What love could remember, no wrongs we have done, omniscient, all-knowing, He counts not their sum.
have your copy of God's Word, please open it up to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. We're going to finish up our series today called The Blessed Life. Psalm 1. In 2007, shock jock Howard Stern had a personal trainer and he was in the best physical shape of his entire life. He was in therapy and was seeking to get his mind together. He was living with a young, beautiful model. He was earning a hundred million dollars a year to love, to do what he loved to do, which was radio. But here's what he said in an interview at that time. And I quote, he said this, I am never happy. I haven't been happy a day in my life, end quote. As I thought about that, I was reminded about what I read at one time about the great boxer Muhammad Ali. You know, Ali was the unprecedented three-time world heavyweight boxing champion. Uh, his face appeared on Sports Illustrated more times than anybody else at that time. And when he was floating like a butterfly and stinging like a bee, he was the king of his profession. An entourage of reporters and trainers and support staff tailed his comment, uh, this comment as he raced around the world. Uh, but that was a long time ago. And later on in his life, uh, sports writer Gary Smith went to find out where Muhammad Ali was at that moment. Now keep in mind, this article was written back uh, while he was still living. He actually died in 2016. But here's what Gary Smith, the sports reporter, reported. Ali escorted Smith to a barn next to his farmhouse. On the floor, leaning against the walls, were mementos of Ali in his prime. Photos and portraits of the champ punching and dancing, fist punching the air, championship belt held high, uh, the thrill up from Manila. But on those pictures that were lining the walls were white streaks. There were bird droppings. Ali looked up into the rafters at the pigeons who had made his gym their home. And then he did something significant. Perhaps it was a gesture of closure. Maybe it was a statement of despair. But whatever the reason, he walked over to the row of pictures and one by one, he turned them toward the wall. So you picture in there, one by one, turning those pictures of him in his prime, of him as the king of his profession, of him as the king of the world in many regards. And he turned them one by one against the wall as they were there covered in bird droppings. He then walked to the door. He stared at the countryside. And he mumbled something so low that Smith had to ask him to repeat it. And Ali did repeat it. And here's what he said. I had the world and it wasn't nothing. Look now. I had the world and it wasn't nothing. Look now. I couldn't help but think of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ when He said, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Fame. Fortune, the world, but no happiness, no satisfaction, no peace. You know, we've been looking at the blessed person in Psalm 1, the happy man, the happy woman in Psalm 1. And now we turn the corner and we see the ungodly 
man. The ungodly person. And can I just say to you, it's a stark contrast. When you move from the blessed person to the ungodly person. I want to read the whole psalm one more time. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in the season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Verse 4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now it's interesting, is it not, beloved? The godly person is compared to a stable flourishing, productive tree that's planted by the rivers of water, but the ungodly person is compared to chaff. Chaff. As I studied this out, someone noted that the psalmist's mention of chaff takes us back to the farming techniques of that time. The farmer would place the wheat he had harvested on a threshing stone, a floor, and drive his oxen around there so their hooves would separate the grain from the husk. And then he would use a kind of a, a fork to kind of throw that up in the air. And the grain, of course, would fall down to the floor and be preserved. And the chaff would blow away. It's kind of a picture as I have before you this morning. As they're tossing that grain up and the chaff, the wind just blows it away. And that's what the Bible compares the ungodly person to. Their life is like chaff. And the chaff, you know, is worthless. What a picture of those who live without the Lord Jesus Christ. They're blown about. And they're beat up by life. They're unstable. And the sad thing about it, beloved, is that this is the best it's ever going to be for them. For the one who lives this life and dies without the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the only heaven they're ever going to know. This is the best they're ever going to have it. Right here, right now, in this life. Think about it. Wasting this life, dying and spending an eternity in hell. And the sad thing is, most of them don't even know it. They don't even realize just how terrible, a bad a condition that they're in. A wasted life here and an eternity of suffering to come. It says in verse 5, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. They will not stand. Why? They don't have a leg to stand on. If they reject Jesus, they're lost. They don't come through the way, the truth, and the life. They're lost. They're not going to spend an eternity in the congregation of the righteous. In fact, it says in the next verse that they, their way will perish. It's interesting, Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 12 says it this, His winnowing fan is in His hand, and He will thoroughly uh, clean out His threshing floor and gather His weed into the barn, a picture of believers, but He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. One of the most startling and terrifying scenes, in, I think, in all the Bible is Revelation chapter 20. Verses 12 through 15, it's the great white throne judgment. And by the way, if you're a child of God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you'll never stand at the great white throne judgment. This is for lost people. 
And it says in Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 15, And I saw the dead, small and great. So no matter how great they were here, small, common, unknown, or the greatest in the world, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to his works. And then verse 14 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What an awful scene, beloved. What an awful scene. But the question is, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? Do we, do we really believe that the godless, the one who doesn't know Christ, is going to spend an eternity in hell? And if we say we believe it, because many of us here will say, and I'll say, I believe it, it's what the Bible teaches. If we believe it, does it break our hearts to realize that some are going to be going that path? In fact, it's even scary. Are we glad that some are going to get what's coming to them? You know, somebody say, well, they deserve it. Well, if that's your heart, beloved, you better check your heart. Because that's what we all deserve. We all deserve hell. We all deserve to be cast to the lake of fire. It's only by God's grace and mercy that we're born again and going to heaven. When I saw the last word of Psalm 1, the word perish, I thought about the New Testament. And I thought about some verses that use that word. You, you know the first one, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. I want you to see and hear the heart of God. Second Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any... Do you remember what it says? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. He loves us. He sent Christ to die for us. Our sin has to be dealt with. And so Christ says, I'll take their place. But we must place our faith in Christ. Turn from our sin and trust Christ. And if we will not, then we will perish. But we make that choice because God is not willing that any should perish. His desire, it says, is that men might be saved. And so it brings us to our third and final lesson from this psalm. You remember the first two, I hope. The first two, of course, was be careful who you listen to. The second one, you remember we studied last time. Do I remember? We've got to fill our lives with the Word of God. Thank you, I forgot. <laughs> and then, the third one this morning, are you ready for it? We must warn others of the judgment to come. We must warn others of the judgment to come. God forbid that we should ever have the attitude like this, well, I'm saved, my family's saved, we're all right, I'm going to leave it at that. That is not a godly attitude. That is not a biblical attitude. Beloved, the Lord saved you. If He saved you, He wants you to tell others how to be saved. Matthew 28, 18-20, the Great Commission. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And He said to them, Go ye into all the world! 
Why are we doing Lottie Moon? Why do we pray for missionaries? Because Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are His messengers. You live on a mission field. Daily, you're on a mission field. And you need to use every opportunity that God gives you to share the gospel. And let me remind you, we cannot save anyone. It's not up to us to save people. We can't make people get saved. We can't save anyone. We're called to share the gospel. And I know sometimes you can grow discouraged because you share your faith and you share the gospel. See, if nobody responds, well, listen, you've been obedient. Successful evangelism is sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has to work in a person's heart and life and convince them of their sin and convert them and bring them to saving faith in Christ. They may reject the message. I preach every week and people reject the message. But the key is I'm obedient to what God has called me to do. We preach, we share, and we let God, the Holy Spirit, do His work as He sees fit. That's in the Lord's hands. We're to be obedient and share the Gospel. We're to be obedient and share the Gospel. Well, the question is, are we? Are we busy sharing the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? It was April 15th. 1912, the night when the ship Titanic plunged 12,000 feet to the Atlantic floor after some two hours and 40 minutes uh, after striking an iceberg that tore a 300-foot gash in the starboard side of that ship. Survivor, Survivor Eva Hart said, I saw all the horrors of its sinking and I heard even more dreadful the cries of drowning people. Although 20 lifeboats and rafts were launched, too few were only partly filled. Most of the passengers of the the Titanic ended up struggling in the icy seas while those in the lifeboats, they stayed at a safe distance. But lifeboat number 14, and they tell me that is lifeboat. That's a photograph of lifeboat number 14. Did row back to the scene after the unsinkable ship sunk below the surface at 2.20 in the morning. And alone, lifeboat number 14 chased cries in the darkness, seeking and saving a precious few. But the article I read said, sadly, no other boats joined it. See, some were already overloaded, but in virtually every other boat, those already saved rode their half-filled boats aimlessly in the night, listening to the cries of the lost and the drowning. Why? Well, because many of them were afraid that if they went back, that they might be overrun and swamped by those who were there. And as I read that story, is it not a picture, beloved, of many, many women of God who are safe, in the lifeboat, who are heaven-bound, they know Jesus Christ, and they just kind of row through life and try to drown out the cries of those who are lost and broken and desperate and who need the Lord Jesus Christ. May God help us to launch out into the deep. May God break our heart for the lost May God help us to share the good news that Jesus saves. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, now, wait a minute. I thought this was the Thanksgiving service. 
What an unusual message, preacher, for the Thanksgiving service. Well, really? I mean, is there anything greater that we could thank the Lord for today than our salvation? The fact that He's forgiven our sin and given us a home in heaven and made us an heir and joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, I challenge all of us today. Why? Because as a part of our thanks, it's not just saying, oh, thank you, Lord, for saving me, but part of our thanks is to go and share that message with other people. And say, listen, God has saved me. God has blessed me. I want to share it with you. Because I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful. Do we really believe that the lost are really lost? They're really going to hell. And that God has called us to be His messengers. You say, well, you know, He, didn't, he did know who He was calling. And that's amazing too. But He called us. He says, I want you to go and share my love. Go and share the gospel that Jesus saves. Are you doing it? Will you do it? Are you broken of the lost? Are you grateful enough for your salvation that it makes you want to go out and tell others about it? Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? Nobody looking around. Nobody stirring around. Real quickly, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Are you certain, do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt, if death were to come today, you'd open your eyes in heaven? If not, friend, you can. Jesus Christ loved you. He died for you. He shed His precious blood for you. If you'll repent, if you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ, you can be saved today. You can express that faith in a simple prayer. You can do it right now. For those of you who do know Him, Are you grateful for your salvation? I know you are. But as God burdened your heart, even if you've been listening to me this morning with somebody, why don't you take a moment and pray for that person or those people and ask God to help you to share His love with them. Just talk to Him right now. Thank Him for your salvation. And then pray for those people in your mind today that are lost. And don't know Christ. Now here's what we're going to do to close out today's service. I'm going to pray in a moment. But you've got one of those tags. And we're going to decorate our Thanksgiving tree. There are pencils in the pew racks in front of you. And after I pray, I'm going to invite you to write down whatever you're thankful for today. This is between you and the Lord. And when you're ready, I'm going to ask you to come up on... The right hand, your right hand stand where the tree is of the stage and, and place that on the tree as a way of expressing your thanks. And then go back and let's don't let's don't carry on today. Let's let's put our Thanksgiving tag on the tree and let's go back and pray and rejoice to the Lord and, and just talk to him. So I'm gonna pray and you're gonna be writing your Thanksgiving. And then as you're able, you come and you place it on the tree. And I'm going to ask you to enter on the right-hand side and exit on the left so we can keep the flow going. All right? But I want to pray first. And if you need to be saved today, I'm up here. I'd love to talk with you about salvation. We've got time. While they're decorating the tree, I'd love to take my Bible and share Christ with you. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. I pray, Lord, if anybody here today is not saved, that you convict them and bring them to saving faith. 
And the Lord, I pray for those of us who are. May we truly be grateful to the point where we want to share our faith with other people. May you be glorified and praised during this part of the service as we express our thanksgiving by writing it down and placing it where others can see it. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you when you're ready to enter on this side of the stage, exit on this side. You come, we'll give you time as you express your thanksgiving today. Write your request, write your thanks down.